Well, what happened was they began to read God's word after the construction, and it really grieved them. And Ezra had something to say. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemp. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are studying Nehemiah 8 through 10. And as we study, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 8. This is fascinating, a wonderful scripture. And uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength, is what we often say. So we'll discover more about that later on. Corey? Well, I'm also going to be focusing in on Nehemiah chapter 8, but taking a look at the overall writing of the scripture and the role of the prophet. Ryan? Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that God, through Christ, upholds all things by the word of his power. And as you'll see, this declaration is perfectly consistent with the discoveries of science. You know, that's fascinating. Uh, thank you for your reports. That's excellent. They're coming up in just about 20 minutes. Janice? Words that stir emotion. All right. Very good. Nehemiah 8 Verses 8 through 17. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still. For the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 17. 
Nehemiah 8 through 10, that's what we read today. You know, one of the most quoted verses in my young years was the last part of verse 10 in Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Many pastors and teachers would often quote this verse, not knowing the context it was from. This verse is from the time the return of Israel from the Babylonian exile to the land of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were built, the second temple was completed, and the people were weeping because of the discrepancy of their structure, and it compared to the building of Solomon's temple. No, it did not. Now, this passage is part of the bigger picture that we see when we read it. Nehemiah 8 deals with the emotions of the people as Ezra read the law. Ezra and Nehemiah were attempting to return the methods and worship of the people of Israel back to the ways of God. Now, before we go any further, I want to tell you that get your Bible guide out and let's turn to the passage as we open it up. And the Bible guide, you can write or call, call us for it and uh, we'll send it to you. But you can go to also Bible Discovery TV and click on it. When you click on the page, it'll take you to a donate page. Let me say thank you for your donations. I very much appreciate them. And I know the Lord works and I know the Lord's working right now. I'm just letting you know that we have needs and you just ask the Lord what he would have you do and do that. That's perfect. Uh, so just do that and it'll take you to a page where uh, the PDF file is there. You can download it just like we printed it. It's really good. By the way, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Anyway, the joy of the Lord. Have you heard that? The joy of the Lord is our strength. You've heard that people say that. Well, let's study where that's from. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that we would stop quoting verses out of context and we would start understanding your word. We have to understand your word. So help us, Father. As we look at your word today and understand what Nehemiah was saying and what Ezra was saying, help us, Father, to digest your word, not so that our hearts and we can say, yeah, see, the Bible says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to we're going to let the Bible change our hearts. So help us today to hear that in Jesus wonderful name. And we all said together, amen and amen. Nehemiah is an amazing passage of scripture and it is great. He was a great man. And chapter eight is stunning. Now, I say that for lots of reasons, but let's just begin to read. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse eight. Here's what it says. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. They gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. They gave it context. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep because it's a holy day for all the people wept. And when they heard the words of the law, and then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow. Do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord 
is your strength. Nehemiah encouraged the people to rejoice because of God's word. Rejoice because of God's word. The Bible tells us the truth. And Jesus Christ came to save us, not condemn us. Jesus Christ came to save us, not condemn us, beloved. Now, when we understand that, we begin to realize, okay, so maybe hearing God is not about God pounding on you with a hammer all the time. Maybe that's not God. Maybe that's somebody else, like the accuser of the brethren, for example. Now, God is explicit about what's sin and what isn't. But at the same time, God does not desire us to be beaten down. He desires us to be lifted up. And we do that by giving our lives to him. We give our desires and our lives to him. We want to change and become like him. Follow him. That's what a Christian means. So keep that in mind. All right. Let's go back to the scripture and let's learn more. Nehemiah 8 verse 11. Here's what it says. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Did you see that? They understood the words that were declared to them. Nehemiah said that the word of God would build them up, not tear them down. I want to read that again. Nehemiah said the word of God would build them up, not tear them down. God's word helps and heals us. It delivers us from our destructions. Remember that. God's word is not a condemning word. Now, we understand that the condemnation comes because of sin. But God overcame sin. That's the point. That's the theme in this book. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. He overcame sin. We need to remember that when we teach the word and when we speak. God said, speak what I've done for you. And if you're a Christian, God has saved you. I'll see you in eternity. Yes, we will. I'm telling you, that's a good one there. Anyway, go back to Nehemiah 8, verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. Now, on the second day of the heads of the fathers, or the, the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. They wanted to understand this. Verse 14. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. It's a tabernacle of booths. And, they, and that they should announce and proclaim in all of their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, go out into the mountain and bring olive branches of the oil trees, myrtle branches and palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written, and then the people went out and brought them in and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in the courtyards of his courts and of the house of God. And, the open, and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of, the, of those who had returned from captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And they were very great gladness. There was very great gladness. This brings me to the third point. The people were instructed to celebrate the coming out of Egypt with a festival of booths. 
Beloved, we must always worship and praise God for his greatness. You know, God is great. He's greatly to be praised. And like he brought Israel out of Egypt from slavery, he brought us out of sin and slavery to it. So we praise God. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Father, we praise you today. And we thank you for saving our souls, for helping us in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of us said, Amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. So in Ezra chapter 8, we have this really interesting sequence of events where Ezra reads the book of the law, so the Torah, with what seems to be special emphasis on the book of Deuteronomy. And the people uh, realize that they're supposed to be celebrating the festival of tabernacles or booths. And so then, you know, in that month that Ezra is reading it, so they make preparations and they meet and they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or booths and every day of the seven-day festival, Ezra once again reads from the book of the law. It's also called the book of Moses in this chapter. And it really got me thinking about the overall writing of the Old Testament specifically, but also the New Testament, as well as Ezra's claimed role in this, this grand scheme of writing. Take a look. Much debate surrounds exactly how, when, and where the Old Testament of the Bible was written. So much debate that we've often failed to take into account what the Bible itself claims, that it was written and edited by a succession of prophets of God. The Bible records that there were many true prophets throughout its history, and even many writing prophets. It's notable then that not all of these texts or prophets' works were included in scripture, only that which was specially recognized as authoritative. The first author and editor of scripture was the prophet Moses, who is said to have written a copy of the law on stone tablets and placed it in the Ark of the Covenant that was kept in the tabernacle and later the Temple of Solomon. Moses also wrote a copy on a scroll and stored that beside the Ark of the Covenant. Next, Moses' understudy and successor, Joshua, is said to have added to this book of the law. After Joshua, the prophet and judge Samuel is also said to have written and placed his writings in that same tabernacle. This signals Samuel's importance, pointing to his authoritative role in continuing the work begun by Moses and Joshua. At this time, when Israel began to follow a king instead of a prophet, an unusual boom in prophecy also began, with Samuel at its helm. Samuel is seen leading a group of prophets, which many take as evidence of a type of mentorship program for prophets. This unusual move of God may have been a response to the people's move away from God-inspired political leadership, and many believe this established the succession of prophets that we read about in the books of Kings and Chronicles, called the Sons of the Prophets. And apparently, there was also a recorded register of tried-and-true prophets of God. 
This register included Jeremiah, who wrote his books and is believed to have compiled the books of kings as we have them today. The final supposed writing and scripture editing prophet of God seems to have been Ezra, the priest and scribe, who is credited with writing Ezra Nehemiah and compiling the books of Chronicles. So Ezra is one of the traditionally claimed authors of a few different books of the Bible, including Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, it's not really incredibly important that we know this for sure, because we can see, you know, there there are many different lines of evidence that we can talk about when it comes to the reliability of the Old Testament of the Bible and the composition of the Old Testament of the Bible, the historical accuracy and all of that. Uh, But it's an interesting thing to think about about this this role of the prophet and the priest in the construction and the authorship of the Old Testament. Yeah, that's really important to remember as we study the Bible too, so people understand that. So very good, Corey, excellent. Uh, Ryan, you're up. All right, well, my segment today is based on Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six, in which Ezra extols God as the creator of the heavens, earth, and all that's in it. And this goes really hand in hand with Hebrews 1.3, which says that God, through Jesus Christ, made all things. And not only did he make all things, but it also says he's also currently upholding all things by the word of his power. So not only does the Bible claim that the physical is a result of the spiritual, but also that the physical realm is actually being upheld by the spiritual realm. Now, even though these biblical facts are 100% consistent with the discoveries of science, our modern culture generally denies that in favor of a purely physical and naturalistic universe. But this wasn't always the case. Actually, many ancient cultures believed that there was more to it. So what was it that changed our minds? Due largely to the influence of the so-called Age of Enlightenment, many today maintain that the entire universe is a purely physical entity. The late atheist astronomer Carl Sagan promoted this idea when he said, the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. This is naturalism. Ancient man, however, understood that there's both a spiritual and physical dimension. In fact, many cultures believed in a creator. Interestingly, according to the Bible, the physical is a product of the spiritual. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 says that in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Not only does the Bible claim that the physical is a result of the spiritual, but also that the physical realm is actually being upheld by the spiritual realm. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 records that God through Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. Because of their belief in a creator and a spiritual dimension, some ancient cultures actually attributed the movement of the celestial bodies to spirit beings. The ancient peoples of Europe, for example, represented the sun as being carried through the sky by a spirit horse. When modern cosmologists demonstrated that the motion of the celestial objects could be explained using only gravity and the laws of motion, atheists touted this as a blow against theism. Of course, the Bible never attributes the motion of the celestial bodies to spirit beings. As a matter of fact, God-fearing Bible believers such as Sir Isaac Newton, who was the one responsible for first describing gravity and discovering the laws of motion, just saw this as an advance in our understanding of how the world works. 
Uh, furthermore, it was due to the starting assumption that there was an intelligent designer who created a logical and ordered universe, which led many great minds to discover these fixed laws of nature in the first place. Indeed, where there are laws, there must naturally be a lawgiver. While atheism has no logical basis to explain why there are fixed laws, theism can. And many have come to this realization. Theistic astrophysicist John Hartnett explains that scientific laws are a description of the way God normally works within this physical universe. Another theistic scientist, Maria Mitchell, who was the very first woman astronomer in America, said that every formula which expresses a law of nature is a hymn of praise to God. And similarly, Johann Kepler, who discovered the planetary laws of motion, declared that the study of the world and its processes is really thinking God's thoughts after him. It's certainly no coincidence that many branches of science were started by God-fearing men and women. Despite what pop science claims, it's theism, not atheism, that's the key to understanding the universe, as hosts of discoveries have been made with this logical starting assumption. Truly, there is nothing in nature that contradicts the biblical idea that the physical is a result of the spiritual, and the spiritual is upholding the physical. While a lot of us today assume that we moderns are the peak of civilization and the most evolved and sophisticated, the reality is, is that we're no better. Actually, I think that we're worse. I mean, we tend to think that the ancient cultures were foolish, primitive, and barbaric for their worship of idols and child sacrifice. And yeah, it was horrible and disgusting. But we're even worse today. At least the ancient cultures replaced God with something. Today, God's replaced with nothing. Nothingness, randomness. And more children are sacrificed today than at any other time in the past. Every year, millions of unborn babies are brutally and innocently destroyed and aborted. And some babies are even murdered outside the womb. The only difference is that instead of being sacrificed to some false god, they're being sacrificed to the god of self. Humanity hasn't evolved. It's only grown more barbaric, despicable, and evil. We've just kept falling deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, and grown further and further away from our Creator God. And it's time to repent and come back to Him. He's waiting for us with open arms. He wants to restore us. We've never gone too far or done too much that God will not forgive us if we sincerely ask Him to. And that sincerely is important. If we sincerely ask Him to, we must do that. And you can ask the Lord to come into your life and be the Lord of your life if you simply say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. I need you today. In Jesus' wonderful name, I need you today. Help me to understand you. Amen and amen. Janice? That kind of nicely slides into words that stir emotion. You know, we see a people here, Ezra, and thank you, Corey, for your segment as well, and describing how that Ezra, um, you know, was explaining to the people uh, what they were hearing, and it brought such emotion. Um, and then during this, this time of great celebration, uh, with the people, and and he reminded them to you know eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. That's in verse twelve of of Nehemiah chapter eight. But I thought you know when we read the Bible, um, there are moments when we recognize, and some of the statistics and things that Ryan says, we recognize how far we have come how far we have fallen. And sometimes it's kind of a slow fade in our own lives or, or where our culture is. You know, oftentimes I'll think, my goodness, in my 60 years, this is not the same country that I grew up in. And I'm sure that a lot of you can say the same for where you live because things do change. And 
and a lot of times they don't get better, do they? Except when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word is true. His Word is unchanging because God is that way and God is merciful. And as Ryan said, you haven't done too much. You haven't gone too far that if you sincerely ask God to forgive you of your sins and to have Him come and live within you, literally His Spirit dwells within you, then He can teach you if you are willing to be moldable and to follow after the Lord Jesus. But there, there is times when we go through the Bible, um, and especially in the Old Testament, where um, it, it is difficult reading, and, it, and there are some challenging sections, and even throughout the New Testament, there will be things that challenge you. Um, but also when we realize how close that we can be and are to the Father's love and forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ, that is a reason to celebrate and to share with others. Share where you know the bread of life is. Share where you know where the living water is. That's what our commission is. As believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are no better than anyone else, that's for sure. And if I ever come across that way that I think I'm better than you, please forgive me because that would never be my intent. My intent is always to praise and thank the Lord Jesus Christ for coming and dying on the cross willingly for me, for us, for this world, to forgive to forgive us of our sins because I don't know about you, but I need a savior. I need his help in my life. I need his word to help me to navigate through the minefield of what this world has for us. And so just know that yes, this book will stir up emotion within you. And we may not understand every word. We probably won't, but with the Lord's help, and thank you for joining us and being a part of reading the word and learning together with us. Um, That's what our goal is. Our family, our staff, we are committed to handle the word of God with the respect that it so deserves. And so we hope and pray that you will see that dedication in us. We may not always get it right, but our hearts want to handle the Word of God with the respect that it deserves. I want to remind you, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 3.30 to 4.30, we are broadcasting live on Facebook and YouTube and Bible Discovery TV, a prayer meeting. And we're going to pray for you. Whatever need you have, just drop drop in. And you also will pray for others who are there. And we want to encourage you because many people are joining. And so you can be live there with us. Today, we need to pray, Father, I praise your name for helping me and for saving me. And help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.